0: Praise the Lord. Glory to God. Let's please be seated. Amen. Praise the Lord. Well, I want to start by saying a big, big thank you to Reverend Arome. Thank you, sir. Pastor Nugwa. Thank you, ma, for the privilege afforded me to be here uh, this year for camp meeting. I can also see a wonderful, tremendous array of speakers. And I know the meeting has started off. I've tried to follow along some. Uh, Got back to town this afternoon. And, um, you know, hasn't this evening already been awesome? You know, if we went home right now, we'll say, wow, that was a great time we had. Amen. Praise God. Well, I had something prepared earlier. This afternoon, the Lord spoke very definitely to my heart to go in a different direction. So I'll just do... What I believe he laid on my heart in line with the theme of the meeting, of course. Let's turn in our Bibles to the book of Romans. I'll read two verses of scripture, take them as my text. Romans chapter 1. Came in the company of my beautiful wife. Thank you so much. Praise God. Romans chapter 1. I'll read verses 16 and 17. This is the apostle Paul speaking inspired by the spirit of God said for I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth to the Jew first and also to the Greek for therein that is in the gospel is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith as it is written the just shall live by faith. Now what I have in my heart to share on tonight, you want to title it, you might want to title it the gospel of Christ. The gospel of Christ. Heavenly Father, we thank you because you're our father and you're a good father. Thank you because the entrance of your word gives light and it gives understanding to the simple. We approach your word humbly and reverently. Thank you most of all for the great plan of redemption which you planned and sent your son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to consummate. Thank you for your word that brings us a revelation of that plan. Thank you for the great and mighty one, the Holy Spirit, whom you've sent to be our teacher and to be our guide. I make bold to say that he'll live big in me tonight. He'll rise big in me. He'll think through my mind. He'll speak through my lips. He'll act through my deeds. He will anoint me to stand and minister in the office of my call. And we'll give all praise, honor, and adoration. For everything that we wrought in our midst. To that worthy and majestic name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, Amen. 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 Praise God. So talking about the gospel of Christ. Paul was uh, writing there under the inspiration of the Spirit of God. And four simple things I feel impressed. Four thoughts I have about this. First thing we see there. Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God unto salvation. So my first thought is this. The gospel is the power. The gospel is the power. If you want to see more power, put out more gospel. Because that's the power of God. That's the power of God. That's God's ability to save. Now the word salvation, according to C.I. Schofield, very able Hebrew and Greek scholar, implies the idea of deliverance, of safety, of preservation, of healing and of soundness. So we could say that the gospel is God's power unto our deliverance. The gospel is God's power unto our safety. The gospel is God's power unto our preservation. The gospel is God's power unto our healing. The gospel is God's power unto our soundness. God's word is anointed. God's power is in his word. In Hebrews 4:12 the Bible says for the word of God is quick Uh, Zao, the greek word means living and powerful sharper than any turgid sword piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit bone and marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart so god's word is full of his power is full of his ability it's anointed many times we sell the power of god's word short yes i know sometimes god could move through gifts of the spirit yeah god reserves the right of divine sovereignty to do whatever he wants to do, whenever he wants to do it, however he wants to do it, provided he does not violate his word. And sometimes gifts of the Spirit come in manifestation. Yes, we believe in the gifts of the Spirit, but whether gifts of the Spirit are in manifestation or they are not in manifestation, the word of God is anointed. And it will work every time. It will work every time. It will work for anyone. In Isaiah 55:11, God said, So shall it be my word that goes forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please, and it shall prosper in the thing whereto I sent it. In Numbers 23:19, he says that God is not a man that he should lie, nor the son of man that he should repent, as he said and shall he not do it, as he spoken and shall he not make it good. So he stands back of his word. Luke 137 says, for with God, nothing shall be impossible. I like that in the Amplified Classic. It says, no word from God is void of power. No word from God is void of ability to make good. So his power is in his word. In Psalm 107 from verse 17 to 20, it says that fools, because of their transgression and because of their iniquities, are afflicted. Their soul abhorred all manner of meats. They draw near to the gates of death. They crown to the Lord in their trouble. He saved them out of their distresses. He sent his word and healed them and delivered them from their destructions. The word he sent in in the old covenant was spoken by the prophets. The word he sent in the new covenant is the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And that word is anointed. God's word is anointed. It's the power of God. It's the ability of God. And it gets the job done. Well, in 1 Corinthians 12, you know, now, concerning spiritual gifts from verse one, brethren, I'll not have you ignorant. You know that you were Gentiles, carried you on to these dumb idols, even as you were led. Wherefore I give you to understand that no man speaking by the Spirit of God calleth Jesus a curse. No man can say that Jesus is the Lord by the Holy Ghost. Now there are diversities of gifts by the same Spirit, differences of administrations were the same Lord, diversities of operations were the same God that walketh all in all. It says, but the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man who profiteth all. For to one is given by the spirit the word of wisdom. To another the word of knowledge by the same spirit. To another faith by the same spirit. To another the gifts of healing by the same spirit. The Greek text actually has both words in plural. Gifts of healings by the same spirit. To another the working of miracles. To another prophecy. To another descending of spirits. To another diverse kinds of tongues. To another the interpretation of tongues. It says but all these work at that one and the self same spirit. Dividing to every man severally as he will. Yes, as the spirit of God wills, sometimes he will initiate a manifestation. He will initiate stuff. I was teaching one time somewhere in India. uh, Sometimes I like to move around, especially when I'm teaching. And I stood in front of this lady and I heard on the inside of me, tell her she's healed. I thought to myself, I didn't know she was sick. Then I heard it the second time. Tell her she's healed. Well, and I pointed at her and I said, listen, I'm human. I could miss it. But I seem to feel inspired to tell you you're healed. She didn't show much emotion. I got to discover she had an incurable heart condition and she was instantly healed. Now, it wasn't my faith, it wasn't hers either. It was just the Holy Ghost initiating stuff. I was in DRC Congo earlier this year. I was preaching in one church on Sunday morning, and, um, you know, at the end of my message, and I said something about someone who had a growth in one of their eyes. The lady was right there in the service, I didn't know. You know, after the meeting, they sent me the picture of the eye before and the eye after she had a cyst in that eye it vanished just right there in the service now that was the Holy Ghost initiating stuff yes sometimes the Holy Ghost does that but whether the Holy Ghost is doing that or is not doing that I'm like Wigglesworth he said if the Holy Ghost does not move me I'll move him now he didn't say that arrogantly he was just simply talking about the fact that by acting on the word of God will produce the supernatural by acting on the word of god the power of god will come in manifestation by acting on the word of god we'll see things happen amen the gospel is a power the gospel is a power the gospel is a power hebrews 13 it says jesus christ the same yesterday and today and forevermore some folks say that the day of miracles is gone. The truth is there was never a day of miracles. There's only been a God of miracles. And he's still relevant in the affairs of men. His power is still the same. His splendor is still the same. And Malachi 3.6 said, I'm the Lord, I change not. So he doesn't change. Amen. So yes, he could initiate stuff by himself. But by just putting out God's word... Getting folks to act on God's word. I'm thinking now, Brother Hagin talked about this meeting he was in. He was ministering to the sick with a tangible anointing of healing power. He got physically tired. Then he told them, he said, Folks, I'm not going to deceive you. The anointing is not a manifestation anymore. It has waned. That tangible anointing of healing power was ministering with, it has waned. I'm physically tired. Because I am, he said, he said, I'm no longer conscious of it. You know? He said, if you want me to minister to you with the anointing, you'll have to come back in another service. He said, however, if you can't come back, it's fine. The Bible says they shall lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. There was a lady, some two-year-old lady. She was on a wheelchair, hadn't taken a step in four years. She had some form of arthritis and uh, uh, rheumatoid arthritis. She was there on that chair. Well, I'll just uh, make the long story a bit shorter. He laid 1 Peter 2, 24 on that lady's laps. She read it, by whose stripes you were healed. He asked her, what tense is that? Past, present, future. Said, it's past tense. If we were, then I was. And if I was, then I am. Said, will you do what I ask you to do? Said, I will if it's easy. Said, just thank God because you're healed. She lifted both hands and began to praise God that she's healed. Then he told the crowd to thank God with her. They did. Then he turned to that lady and said, now my sister, rise and walk in Jesus' name. She jumped out of the chair. Started dancing like a 16-year-old girl. He said, somebody went and told a lie on him the next morning that that Hagen fellow healed a crippled lady in that meeting last night. He said, no, I didn't. Jesus healed her 2,000 years ago. She only found out about it. You see, the gospel is a power. That wasn't because of a manifestation of the spirit. That was just the gospel. That was just the gospel. There was one student one time, came to Raymond had one leg six inches shorter than the other and was in class just listening to the word. After two years, both legs were same length. She wasn't prayed for, you know, just the word of God. Brother Hagen talked about this lady that got his tape series, Faith Classics. You know, she was born with one toe. Uh, one and a half toes missing. Three and a half toes on the leg. Leg also was shorter than the other. So she just kept listening to God's word. After six months, the leg started growing out by itself. And it became the same length as the other one. She wasn't prayed for. Nobody laid hands on her. Yes, I know God anoints men. Yes, God gave gifts to men. And God puts his power on people. Calls them to the ministry. And yes, we ought to honor those gifts. Amen. And honor God's graces. But sometimes we forget that the word of God itself is anointed. God's power is in his word. God's power is in his word. God's power is in his word. See, when we know how to do it by the word, we can do it anytime. We can do it every time. They can wake you up from sleep. You can go do it. Amen. Because it's not guesswork. You know how. Anybody here can fly a plane if you just knew how. It's about the know-how. Once you know how, you can do it. It's about knowing how. And God's word tells us the how. Amen. Jesus is the way. And the Holy Ghost the how. Amen. The word of God is anointed. The gospel is the power of God. The power of God is in his word. There's power in that word to heal. There's power in that word to deliver. There's power in that word to preserve. There's power in that word to keep safe. There's power in that word to make sound. There's power in that word to prosper a man. There's power in that word to meet our needs. You see, our father is El Shaddai. He's not El Broko. He's not El Chipo. He's El Shaddai. He's the big-breasted one. Amen. He's our father. And his word, his word, that word can be trusted. That word can be depended upon. Brother Hagin said, oh, bless my heart, talking about Brother Hagin so much. Well, I guess that's where I'm from. That's who I've listened to, perhaps more than anybody else. I read a lot of Kenyon, too. I read more Kenyon than most people have. That's a fact. Every one of his 18 books, actually 20 of them. I read each one at least three times. You know, study them over and over. I read a lot of caps that I study a lot, but I read my Bible more than I've read anything else. Amen. You know, so um God's word is anointed, God's word will break any yoke will move us forward, will cause us to thrive, will cause us to prosper, will cause us to stay healthy. Brother Higgin, 1954, November, just like this, they were having their voice of healing convention, and then all those healing ministers are gathered, and he got up, and he told them, he said, when all you folks are gone and long forgotten, I'll still be out there preaching. They looked at him like a car in the new gate, said, what are you talking about? He told them, he said, you guys are building your ministries on signs and wonders, I'm not. Yes, I'm for signs and wonders and I contend for them, but I'm putting the word first. Amen. Well, it happened just like he said, you know, because God's word is evergreen. You know, there are waves, there are moves, but the word of God is always relevant. And the word of God is a sure foundation and the word of God abides forever. First Peter 1 24, all flesh is grass. The glory of man has a flower, thereof the grass with there, the flower falleth away. 25 says the word of the Lord abideth forever. And this is the word that has been preached to you by the gospel. So the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. My second point is this the gospel, like we read from Romans 1, 16 and 17, is a revelation of the righteousness of God. The gospel is a revelation of the righteousness of God. The gospel is not a revelation of the sinfulness of man. Man doesn't need a revelation to know his sinfulness. He's sinful. But of course, the righteousness of God presupposes the sinfulness of man. But the gospel is a revelation of God's righteousness. It's how God made righteousness available to mankind. The truth is that we could never earn righteousness with our works. Just like pastor said. We could never be good enough to become righteous righteousness is a gift that we receive at our new birth and the gospel is a revelation of it in romans chapter 5 verse 17 the bible says for if by one man's offense death reigned by one much more they which receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one jesus christ so we are to reign as kings in this life we're not to be trampled upon Amen. By circumstances, by sin, by sickness, by poverty, by demon activity, by circumstances, by the economy. No, we're to reign as kings. Amen. And the gospel reveals that righteousness. We know that from John 1:17 that the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. In 2 Corinthians 3.5, the Bible says they are not sufficient of ourselves to think anything as of ourselves. It says, what our sufficiency is of God. Who also has made us able ministers of the New Testament. Verse 6 says, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter killeth, but the Spirit gives life. We are called able ministers of the New Testament. I meet many able ministers of the Old Testament. And many times I just shake my head. They don't know their job description. We're not living in the Old Testament anymore. We're not living in the Old Testament anymore. When Jesus hung on that cross and said it is finished, that's when the Old Covenant was finished. He fulfilled it and he set it aside. We're not under the law. There's a new law for us. It's the law of love in the family of God. And by the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, he put an end to that order. Praise God. The Old Testament is actually a covenant of the law. The New Testament is a covenant of grace. Grace is a big word. Grace is the word of the gospel. The entire new covenant is called grace. That's what it is. That's what it is. So we shouldn't be trying to go back to the law. Those who lived in it, they couldn't keep it. And there's no use trying. But righteousness is something we receive at our new birth. Now we know from 2 Corinthians 5.21, the Bible says for he has made him to be sin. God made Jesus to be sin for us who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. When Jesus hung on that cross, our sin nature was laid upon him. Not only was our sin nature laid on him, our sins as well were laid on him. First Peter 2.24 says, "Whose Bear our sins in his own body on the tree. They were dealt upon his spirit. Jesus' physical body was broken for us. But there was more to his death than him dying physically. If Jesus had not died spiritually, he couldn't have died physically. When he hung on that cross, we hung there with him. Galatians 2.20 says, I'm crucified with Christ. Better rendering read really is, I was crucified with Christ. It says, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith." Of the son of God. Who loved me and gave himself for me. So when he was crucified we were crucified. When he died we died. When he was buried we were buried. When he suffered those three days and nights. We suffered with him. You know Romans 4.25 says he was delivered up for our offenses. Says and he was raised up for our justification. The marginal rendering says. He was delivered up on account of our offenses. And he says he was raised up. When we were declared righteous. Now you see. We know what happened in Eden. Now, this is a word church. I'm not saying anything we really don't know. I'm just like uh, Reverend Arumet wants us to do in this camp meeting just to remind us of these truths that we're established in. Praise God. When he was on that cross, he became a curse for us. Galatians 3.13 says, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. Being made a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone that hangeth on the tree. He was a curse on the cross. He became poverty on the cross. 2 Corinthians 8.9. We know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich, yet for our sakes he became poor. That we through his poverty might become rich. Jesus wasn't poor in his earth walk. No way. Uh, A poor man who had 12 mouths that he was feeding some of them had wives and he was feeding them and they lacked nothing and he had so much money he needed a treasurer and his treasurer was a thief yeah, that doesn't look like a poor man that doesn't look like a poor man you know sometimes people say foxes have holes birds of the hair have nests jesus said the son of man has nowhere to lay his head that was when he was on the way to jerusalem that house in Capernaum that that man broke the roof and his four friends you know got him down in Looked like it was jesus home his house. So Jesus was no vagabond. Amen. Praise God. So when he became poor, was on the cross. Isaiah 53 5 says the chastisement, the punishment that brought us peace, that brought us shalom, nothing missing, nothing broken was upon him. So on the cross, he was a curse. On the cross, our sin nature was laid on him. On the cross, our sins were laid on him. On the cross, our poverty was laid on him. On the cross, our diseases were laid on him. Isaiah 53, says, who have believed our report? To whom is the arm of the Lord revealed. He shall grow up before him as a tender uh, plant, as a root out of a dry ground. He has no fruit, uh, no comeliness. And when we should see him, there's no beauty. We should desire him. He's despised and rejected of men. A man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. We hid as it were faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Verse 4 says, Surely he hath borne our griefs. Woo, glory. Surely, surely. Not maybe so, not let's hope so. Surely he hath borne our griefs. Literal Hebrew sicknesses or diseases and carried our sorrows, literal Hebrew pains. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. Says with his stripes we are healed. Says all we like sheep have gone astray. Everyone had gone on his own way. Says the Lord had laid on him the iniquity of us all. Thus then, says it pleased God to bruise him. He had put him to grief. He made him sick with our sicknesses. Verse nine says it made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. The Hebrew actually is deaths. On that cross, on that cross, he took it all on himself. He bore it all for us. Then he gave up the ghost. And when he died, where did he go? He went to the place where people who are separated from God go. He went to hell. The devil's hell. Yeah. And he suffered there for us. You know, sometimes I meet people who are trying to make heaven. All you're trying to make heaven. Heaven is not an achievement. You don't make heaven. You're either a citizen of heaven or you're not. Amen. He went to hell so I don't have to go there. He suffered there for us. Amen. He paid that price. He paid it in full. After three days and nights, remember his deity, where humanity. One hour of deity suffering is worth more than an eternity of humanity suffering. And in those three days and nights, God looked at what Adam did, the high treason he committed. He looked at the sins of humanity, and then he looked at the sufferings of Jesus, bearing the fact that that's deity suffering. And then he said, "It's enough. It's enough. He has satisfied the claims of justice. He has met the demands of the law, and Jesus was declared righteous." He was declared righteous right there in hell. And when he was declared righteous, we were declared righteous with him. He was made alive. When he was made alive, we were made alive with him. He was raised from the dead. Acts 13:33 says God has fulfilled the same unto us, their children. By bringing up Jesus from the dead. As it is also written in the second Psalm. Thou art my son. This day have I begotten thee. Jesus was the first person born again out of spiritual death. Amen. Those three days and nights really was where the church was in the the birth throes. That was when the church was being he was in labor for us. Praise God. And when he arose, we arose with him. When he was seated at the right hand of the Father we were seated with him. And that's where we are today. At the right hand of the Father. The righteousness of God. The righteousness of God. The righteousness of God. Well what's righteousness? It's the ability to stand in the presence of God without a consciousness of sin, of guilt, or inferiority. As though sin never existed. As though Adam never sinned. That's what righteousness is. And righteousness is not merely imputed to us, it is imparted. We have the righteousness of God. If you want to know how righteous God is, look at yourself in the mirror. Amen. That's his righteousness you're looking at. You see, there are things we grow in. Righteousness is not one of them. We can grow in love. We can grow in faith. We don't grow in righteousness. You're either righteous or you're not. We're not going to be any more righteous when we when we get to heaven than we are right now. Amen. We are the righteousness of God. So the gospel reveals God's righteousness in Romans three, from verse twenty-one. The Bible says that the righteousness of God without the law is manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Even the righteousness which is by faith of Jesus Christ. Unto all and upon all them that believe. It says for there is no difference. 23 says for all are sinned and come short of the glory of God. 24 being made being justified freely by his grace. Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Whom God has set forth. To be a propitiation through faith in his blood. To declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are past through the forbearance of God. He says in verse 26, to declare again I say that God might be just and the justifier. That God might be righteous and the righteousness of them that have faith in Jesus. Our redemption was based on perfectly legal grounds. You see, God did not just write off our sins. Imagine somebody is owing you money, owing you 10 billion naira. He can't pay it. And you tell him, okay, I forgive you the debt. Yeah, you'll be grateful to your benefactor, but you'll forever be a slave. Imagine you're working for that man or you're on a board with that man and you're about to make a decision on something and the man expresses an opinion. You dare not have a contrary opinion because there's 10 10 billion, 10 billion, 10 billion, 10 billion, 10 billion. You know, so you will always never fellowship with that person on terms of equality. That wasn't what happened in redemption. Actually, we suffered the price we were meant to pay for our offense. We paid it. Jesus paid it for us. He paid it in our stead. You know, grace is God's unmerited favor. Sometimes, if we're not careful, we focus on the unmerited. Oh, we don't merit. We don't merit. We don't merit. We forget the favor. And we forget to enjoy the favor. Yes, in redemption. Our redemption is legal. We sinned. We suffered in the person of Jesus. He paid it for us. That's why he became a man. That's why he suffered in our stead. A man sold us out and a man bought us back. Amen. All the tests that the first Adam took and failed. He took those same tests and he passed them. And that's why he qualified to redeem us. That's why we can stand in the presence of God. You know, I read the first time I read where Abraham was praying and he said to God, Shall not God, the judge of the earth, do right? I almost speed in my pants. Is this man well? Wow. But you see, just before that time in Genesis 15, we see how Jehovah had solemnized the covenant with him. Pastor was talking about a seed covenant love. The man was his, he was God's covenant brother. He had rights. He had righteousness imputed to him so he could talk to his covenant partner. You know, God demanded that the man should give his son and the man did. When the time came, when the man needed God's son, God had no choice. He had to give his own too. Amen. Because it's a covenant. It's a covenant. It's a covenant. It's cut in blood. Glory to God. So, Jesus paid our price. He paid it in full. He paid it in full. He paid it in full. Second Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, is a new creature. All things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. I like to say something that God doesn't merely forgive the sinner's sins. Forgiveness really is not in the Greek of the New Testament used relative to the sinner. It's a bigger word. It's remission. The word atonement occurs only one time in the King James Version in the New Testament and it was mistranslated. Romans 5.11, by whom we have now received the atonement. Atonement is an old covenant word. In the old covenant, their sins were atoned for. They had a covering both for their sin nature and their sins. Under the new covenant, our sins are not atoned for. They were remitted. They were blotted out. They were blotted out. They were blotted out. Remember as a secondary school boy, I was reading 2 Corinthians 7 2. I read where Paul said, I've wronged no man, I've defrauded no man. I said, What's wrong with this guy? Are you not the one that consented to the death of Stephen? Are you not the one that persecuted the church of God, wasted it above many of your equals? Are you not the one that, you know, I was feeling cool. And on the inside of me, the Lord said, Shut up, young man. The fellow you are talking about died on the road to Damascus. Are you listening? You may be living in the same body you used to live in, but there's a new occupant. You're a new man. You're a new man. We're new creatures in Christ Jesus. A brand new species. A kind that never existed before. We've got life of God. You know, sometimes people talk about giving your life to Christ, and I understand what they mean. But in actual fact, nobody ever gave his life to Christ because we were dead. You know, if we're not careful, we make Christianity look like it's a commitment not to do this again, to do that again. You can commit anything you want to commit. That's what we're talking about. The Bible says, for God so loved the world that he, God, gave his only begotten son. So God is the giver. The Bible says, but as many as received him, so we are the receivers. Amen. He gave us his life. We know there are different words used for life in the New Testament. There's suche, which means natural or human life. There's bios, which means manner of life. There's an astrophy, which means confused behavior. But there's this other one, the way life as God has it. Life in the absolute sense. That which the Father has in himself, that which the incarnate son has in himself. That's what we have in us. And that life changes conduct, it corrects habits, it forms new ones. Criminals become law abiding citizens. Prostitutes become moral. Thieves become honest. Drunkards become sober. No case is incurable. The life of God changes a man. Changes him on the inside. You know, I was telling somebody this. I said, many people will get to hell and find out they are there for the wrong reason. And do you know something? We've preached everything but the gospel. You know, we go tell the sinner God is mad with you. We go tell the sinner you will go to hell. Is that news? What's good about that news? And he'll tell you, look, if there's another hell, it doesn't matter. I'm in one already. Keep quiet. That's what they tell us. The truth is this. The gospel is not about an angry God walking with some wicked men. The gospel is that God was personally present in Christ. Reconciling and restoring the world unto himself. Not counting up. Or holding against men their trespasses, but cancelling them and committing to us the message of reconciliation, of the restoration to favor. Amen. So God is not holding the sinner's sins against him. God is not holding the sinner's sins against him. Nobody ever went to hell because they sinned. No. It's not smoking that takes people to hell. It's not adultery that takes people to hell. It's not 419 that takes people to hell. Now, I'm not in favor of any of those things. You know, sometimes people hear just enough of what you say to be devilish. Now, I know we don't have any such people here. Amen. But I'm not in favor. I'm not holding up for wrongdoing. What I'm saying is this. People don't go to hell because they sin. They go to hell because they are sinners. Man's problem wasn't his bad conduct. His bad conduct was a fruit of his problem. Man's real problem was his nature. He's a child of the devil. He has no approach to God. He has no rights before God. He can't stand in God's presence. After Adam sinned in the garden, God came in the cool of the day like he used to. Said, Adam, "Where art thou? Said, I hid myself. Said, because I was uh, afraid. You know, I'm naked. Said, who told you you're naked? You know, when God asks you a question. (laughs) It's not because he doesn't know the answer. Amen. Praise God. So you see, man became a coward. He couldn't stand before God. Never. And that's what the gospel came to restore. That's what the death, burial, and the resurrection of Christ is all about. And that's why we need to continue in grace. You know, people always hear what we are not saying. You know, when you say something, they say, are you trying to say? No, I said what I was saying. You are the ones saying that. I didn't say that. Hey, Amen. Look, man's problem is that he needs Jesus. You know, sometimes if we want to give up their sins and get saved. No, they're putting the cart before the horse. They should receive Jesus. When they receive Jesus, He will change them. I tell people all the time that I'm sinning all I want to sin. I'm lying all I want to lie. I'm cursing all I want to curse. And then their eyes get bigger as saucers. Say, so what do you mean? You see, the one truth for sin is gone. I'm a new creature. I'm a new creature. My nature changed. My spirit was reborn. It was recreated. And so was yours. At our new birth, we became God's children. We came into his family. We became joined to him. First Corinthians 6:17 says, He that is joined to the Lord, his one spirit. The margin says his one spirit with him. We are tied up to deity. We're in union with God. For me to go under, God will have to go under. For me to be defeated, God will have to be defeated. But you know that's never gonna happen. And that's why I don't go under. I can't be defeated. I'm a stranger to defeat. There aren't enough. Trials on this earth to face the God that lives in me. There aren't enough devils on this earth to face the God that lives in me. All that God is, all that God has, all that God can ever be is on the inside of us. We are fortified from within because we're new creatures. We're new creatures. So the gospel is a revelation of righteousness. How God made righteousness available to mankind. That's what the gospel is about. And how did he do it? Through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. He was delivered up on account of our offenses. He was raised up when we were declared righteous. He paid the price for us. We couldn't pay that price. We couldn't be good enough in ourselves. We couldn't earn it. God did not give man the law so that he could keep it. God gave man the law so that he'll know he couldn't keep it. And then God will say, yeah, I knew that earlier on. I just wanted you guys to see it. You know, the Bible says that the law was our schoolmaster to bring us to Christ. Now, that's a mistranslation. It was to bring us until the time of Christ. The law can never bring anybody to Christ. It never has. It never will. It was to bring us until the time of Christ. It says, but now that faith has come, we're no longer under a schoolmaster. So we're no longer under a schoolmaster. We're no longer under the law. By receiving Jesus into our hearts, our natures are changed. We become new creatures in our spirits. Our past is remitted, blotted out, blotted out, blotted out, blotted out. Brother Egan talked about the first time he had that vision, September 2, 1950 in Rockwall, Texas. He said, for the first time in heaven, the vision lasted one hour, 30 minutes. said, looked into Jesus' eyes. said, they looked like wells of living love. And then he said something. He said, No one as unworthy as I should look upon my face. He fell on Jesus' feet. You know, he thought he was being humble. He really was being stupid. And I mean that kindly. You know, he said so himself. He said, Jesus told him, Stand upright on thy feet. He said, Thou art worthy to look upon my face. I washed you in my righteousness, in my blood. I roped you in my righteousness. Look on my face. Praise God. See, we are the righteousness of God. We are the righteousness of God. Our past was remitted. Our nature is changed. And you know something? Now, as believers, we have a different nature. We don't want to sin. First John 3, 9 says, Whosoever is born of God cannot commit sin. He can't make a practice of sin because the seed of God abides in him and he cannot sin because he's born of God. You know, sometimes people say, when you teach like this, aren't you, people, aren't you giving people a license to sin? People will do enough sinning without a license. They don't need one. The truth is this. When people want to sin, they sin. Leave license alone. But the thing is this. When we know we are righteous, the Bible says, Awake to righteousness. And sin not. What people don't know is this the strength of sin is the law. <laughs> I know this. I travel quite some. Minister in several churches, several kinds. You know, I preach for the whole body. I preach for anybody. White garment, yellow garment, red garment. As long as there's a garment. You know? Yeah. You don't come with shoes. I can come, right? As long as I can come. If you tell me to leave my shoes at home, I don't have a problem with it. You know, and I haven't seen something. Everywhere people are legalistic. That's where they sin more. It's the truth. The strength of sin is the law. Amen. The strength of sin is the law. It's not the solution. The solution is the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ. The solution is the finished work of redemption. The solution is the nature of God coming into our spirits. Yes, I know. As born-again people, we still have the same flesh we had before we were saved. Our bodies want to do the things it used to do. Our mind want to think the way it used to think. But Romans 12, 1 and 2 says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. that you may prove what is that good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. So, living right, really... It's about us letting our recreated spirits dominate us. That's what it is. All of us, we have the flesh to contend with. As holy as you are looking, I'm telling you the truth. You have the flesh to contend with. If the man who wrote half the New Testament said, I keep under my body. 1 Corinthians nine twenty-seven, I bring it into subjection. Lest that by any means, when I preach to others, I myself should be cast away. That tells me that his body wanted to act up. Remember that time in Acts chapter well, one where he said, "I've lived before God with a good conscience up till this day," and the high priest said, "Smack that man in the cheek." You know, Paul was the kind that they didn't give his mouth to wash a man. Mm-mm. Paul will not go home and get reply. He gave the, He gave him on the spot. He said, "You white head sepulchre, <laughs> he you are saying they should judge me according to law. They should slap me contrary to the law." Somebody now told him, "Revilest thou God's high priest?" See? He started quoting scripture. Bless his heart. You see, he's just as human as the rest of us. It's obvious he seemed like he had a bit of a temper. But he kept it under. Are you listening? He kept it under, just like we can. So the thing is this: because we are righteous, we act righteousness. The more aware we are of the grace of God, the more we appropriate that grace. You know, Romans six fourteen says, "Sin shall not have dominion over you." Why? Because you are not under the law, but under grace. So the stronger I am in grace, the better I will live right. The key to living right is grace. The more I can appropriate God's grace, God's operational power, I'd work on my behalf. You know, there's something about condemnation. That woman was caught in the very act of adultery. Jesus said to her, you know, those guys, they brought her to Jesus. And then they said, Moses said, we should stone her. What do you say? Now, if you knew what Moses said, so why are you, what have you come for? But they only came to trap Jesus. Imagine if Jesus said, stone her. You know, just if they had twitter then and instagram you know it's a trend that whole week the so-called messiah leads in the stoning of poor innocent widow woman you know yeah just imagine just imagine bad publicity if jesus said don't stone her the so-called messiah telling us not to obey the law of god so they thought they got jesus in a rock and a hard place Jesus didn't say don't stone her He said he who is without sin should cast the first stone You know that's when They remember that they had food on the fire That's when they remember that ah, My friend is waiting for me And you know they left from the oldest to the youngest No the longer they had lived the more they had sinned <laughs> So they said going back one by one Until none of them was standing Then the only man that qualified To stone her was standing That was the only man that qualified To stone her Then he asked that. He said, "Has any man condemned thee? She said, no man, Lord. He now said, neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. The power to go and sin no more was in reading out of condemnation. If we can read people of condemnation, they will live right. If we can get people to know they have the righteousness of God. You know, some people, this is what they think Christianity is. They think Christianity is about, hey, I've woken up today, God. How will I not drink today? How will I not smoke today? How will I not womanize today? How will I not do fraud today? How will I not... So, all their life, they are thinking about how not to sin. I like something Brother Copeland said. said, if the devil can't get you sinning, but he can get you thinking about not sinning, and all you're thinking about is how you won't sin, how you won't sin, your thoughts are still centered around sin. Either way, you are not much good to God's kingdom. The truth is, God never told us to fight sin. Jesus is the cure for sin. Amen. Amen. Bring the sinner to Jesus and rid him of sin. Look, we have the righteousness of God. And the more awake we are to that fact, the better we'll live right. Well, my third point, you know, we don't, if we don't go, you know we can't come back. Right? And you know, blessed are those who keep to the time. They might be invited another time. You know? <laughs> Praise God. You know? It's good to watch and pray. My watch is right there. So I'm watching and praying. I'm preaching too. Praise God. Amen. Praise the Lord. Amen. But you know what? Hasn't Reverend Ironman done such a phenomenal job in the past decades? Amen. With this message. Emphasizing redemption. Emphasizing grace. Emphasize the finished work. Whoa. I get those posts. I love them. I love them. I love them. I love them. Sometimes I'm shouting all by myself. Amen. Such a great work raised men over the years, stayed the long haul. Amen. That's that's what's celebrating. Amen. That's what's celebrating. That's what celebrating. Amen. Praise God. Amen. A ministry that stands for righteousness, that stands for redemption. You know, it's not very common. That's the truth. Praise God. We are the righteousness of God. My third point. First, remember I said the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. Second, I said the gospel is a revelation of the righteousness of God. Third, the gospel is to be mixed with faith. The gospel is to be mixed with faith. Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. for it's the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth. He said to the Jew first and also to the Greeks said for therein in the gospel is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith as it is written the just shall live by faith so the gospel is to be mixed with faith now I will say something hmm? I represent a ministry that our if you go to our headquarters in Tulsa there's a faith shield that revolves around that church yeah she books some Kenneth Hague ministry that faith shield there that's what we stand for but I'll say this I noticed something in word of faith circles and I'll tell you, you see, if we're not careful, we will get legalistic about faith. We'll turn faith into a formula. Look, the truth is this. Sometimes people think that if I'll just believe strongly enough, God will do it. If I'll just confess strongly enough, and I'm strong on confession, I'm strong on those things, on believing God. But we have this mindset as though our faith is what's going to make God do something for us. No. Redemption made him do it for us. Grace made him do it for us. Faith will not get anything that grace has not provided. I'll say that again. Faith cannot get anything that grace has not provided. You know, But, the, but what I see is that Many times, the body of Christ, we love extremes. Is it that we go on this tangent or we go on that tangent? But how about staying in the middle of the road? Amen. Yes, God's grace made things available to us and we must celebrate it. We must understand that. Ephesians one three says, God, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Who have blessed us with all spiritual blessings and heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Colossians 1.12 says, giving thanks unto the Father. Which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. First Corinthians 3.21 says, all things are yours. We must understand that those things are ours. Faith is not going to make God do it. God has done it. Is faith necessary? Yes. But what does faith do? It's by faith we appropriate it. Romans 4, 16 says, It is of faith that it might be by grace. To the end that the promise might be sure to all the seed. Not to that only which is of the law, but to that also which is of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. Romans 5, verses 1 and 2, Therefore being justified by faith, we have peace with God through Jesus Christ our Lord, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. To it, for by grace are ye saved, Through faith. So there has to be the grace-faith connection. It's our faith that accesses it. We can't throw grace away. Grace is the sum total of everything God did for us in Christ. The new covenant is grace. Grace is God's side of it. Grace is what God did. And we had better be strong about that. We had better loud that. And loud that. You know sometimes some of us even brag on our faith. Well, you wouldn't have that faith if not for God's grace. Yeah. So it's still all his grace. So we have to be big about grace. Amen. Amen. Hebrews 4.2 says, For unto us was the gospel preached as well as unto them. But the word that was preached did not profit them. Not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. So we had to mix the gospel with faith. We are to mix the gospel with faith. Acts 14, 7 to 10. And there they preached the gospel. Paul and Barnabas, sat a certain man at least, important that his feet being crippled for his mother's womb, who never had walked. The same how Paul speak, who steadfastly beholding him, perceiving that he had faith to be healed, said with a loud voice, "Stand upright on thy feet." The Bible says, and he leaped and walked. That man wasn't healed by gifts of healings. That man wasn't healed by gift of special faith. That man wasn't healed by Paul's faith. He was healed by his own faith. Where did he get it from? The gospel. Paul preached the gospel. There were other people listening to the gospel. In fact, I don't think that man was even saved. <laughs> I'm not sure he was. But then faith came to him and he acted on it. Faith is really acting on God's word. That's all it is. Amen. Romans 10 from verse 6. The righteous which is of faith speaketh on this wise. Say not in thine heart. Who shall ascend to heaven to bring Christ again from above? Who shall descend to the deep? Bring Christ again from the dead. He says, but what seeth it? The word is nigh thee. Even in thy mouth and in thine heart, that is the word of faith which we preach. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Verse 10 says, So with the heart man believeth unto righteousness. With the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Colossians 2, six says, As ye have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, walk ye in him. So, we receive Jesus. Now that we have received him, we are to walk in him. But that also means something. The way we walk in him is the way we received him. As you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, walk in him. How did we receive him? By believing in our hearts and confessing with our mouths. That's how we walk in him. Second Corinthians 4.13 says, We having the same spirit of faith, According as it is written, I believed, therefore have I spoken. We also believe and therefore speak. So we believe and we speak. We believe and we speak. We believe and we speak. We find out what the word of God says about us. Who we are in Christ. What God did for us in the great plan of redemption. What God did in us in the new birth and the baptism in the Holy Ghost. What Jesus is doing for us now at the right hand of the Father. What we are to God, the Father in Christ Jesus. What God will do through us by his word on our lips. Those things are found in the epistles. Any other Christianity is not Christianity. Amen. I I read the whole Bible. But for God's sake, I'm in the new covenant. I learn from the old, but I live in the new. And then even in the new, technically, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John is not the New Testament. Because Jesus hadn't died. The new covenant did not come into effect until after his death, burial, resurrection, and he's sitting at the right hand of the father. The whole Bible was written for me, but the epistles are the letters written to me. The bulk of my diet should come from there. Dr. Kenyon pastored the church. 24 years, nobody was sick. Nobody died young. Kenneth Hagin pastored 12 years, 11 years, 9 months. Nobody, he, he didn't bury one church member. Well, it was the diet he fed them. You know what you eat. You are what you eat. You are what you eat. When Kenyon was going to take over that church, he looked at their Sunday school quarterly. He, he said, I will take over this church on the condition that we will burn this thing. He must do, use it for bonfire. You'll be defeated. That's why you are defeated. You are what you eat. You are what you eat. You know, some Christians, where they live is Jeremiah, Isaiah. especially those things are ready to backseat in Israel. Woe unto you, woe unto you, woe unto you. No wonder they are backsliding. I won't, no wonder their life is woeful. We are to rightly divide the word of truth. We are to interpret the old covenant in the light of the finished work of redemption. That divide of the death, burial and resurrection of Christ changed everything. Changed worship. Changed prayer. You know, someone stole me. He said, you know, how about the prince of Persia withstanding my prayer? I said, it's not necessary. My prayer doesn't have to ascend. Because God now lives in me. He now lives in me. He now lives in me. me. Besides, when we're in the name of Jesus, there are not enough devils in hell to stop it. Amen. So, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ changed everything. 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 And we're to live in that light. We're to stand in that truth. We're to live. You know, some of us will live as if Jesus hasn't died. And it just pains me. God wants us victorious. God wants us victorious. God wants us victorious. The Bible says, Nay, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. Financially victorious. Physically victorious. Spiritually victorious. You know, God doesn't want us struggling with sin, bad habits, all that. No. We are new creatures in Christ Jesus. We can live right. God doesn't want us the sick. Yeah. I'm done with sickness. When I found out Jesus took my sicknesses, I decided there's no use in both of us taking it. I haven't had a headache now in over 30 years. I'm going to, it's going to continue that way. I'm going to live and die without a headache. I'm going to live and die without sickness. And I don't mind telling you, I'm going to live a good old age. And if Jesus is coming, he won't be sickness. I'll kill me either. Amen. When Bosworth was going to die, T.L. Osborne came to visit him. He said, Brother Osborne, this is the greatest day of my life. I'm going home today. And I was, the day he went home. Then he had a doctor examine him. So it would be on record. It wasn't sickness that killed him. Yeah. When Kenyon, E.W. Kenyon was 80 plus, he told his wife and daughter, I'm going home today. He said, I'm going home at 10 o'clock. They thought he was senile. What's wrong with him? You're home. Well, 10 o'clock, he said, there's Jesus, bye-bye. And he took off. That's how to die. The Bible says, let me die the death of the righteous. Let my latter end be like his. Brother Hagen always said, he always said it, he said it. He said, well, here in the Lord, we talked about it he wants to live to be 87 the man had a, a, a strange way of counting his age when he's 80 he says i'm in my 81st year when he's 82 he says i'm in my 83rd year well he got in his 87th year august 20 he died september 19 in his book understanding the anointing he said how he would die he said it in that book he said he talked about how kenyon died he said i'm going to follow his example that's how he died he finished eating breakfast he dropped his head yeah I asked his son, I said, how did your dad die? He said, he died without sickness. The last camp meeting he preached, that last camp meeting, I watched it live, oh, oh, live stream. Hmm? Live stream is what I mean. I don't mean physically, live. And um, before he started preaching, then he went to Second Peter. He said, well, this is not my text, but I just thought I ought to read this to you. He said, the Lord has shown me I must shortly lay off my tabernacle, and I want you to be in remembrance of these things after my disease. Then he talked about how he had a clean bill of health. How he still was with his doctor. He goes to medical checkups regularly. He preached. The last message he preached in camp meeting wasn't on love. Last message he preached in camp meeting, people say it was love. It wasn't. Last message he preached in camp meeting was redeemed from poverty, sickness, and spiritual death. Saturday night. Yeah. And then he talked about how he invested a 5000 that became a million dollars. invested another 5000 that became another million dollars. The man was a millionaire. You know, yeah, he had money. He won't make noise about it. But he had money. He had money. He was a blessed man. Praise God. When Brother Higgins stood, tens of thousands of dollars were standing. But he would never flaunt money. He would never make noise about it. But he had it. Praise God. Amen. So he left with a good report. He told his daughter-in-law. He said he's ready to go. Two years ahead of time. Then he got all the papers ready. Signed everything. And then he didn't die of anything. The doctor said he was old age. Now, of course, if you have an old person that dies, you never want them to go. You will try to stimulate them to get them back. So all that putting them on the life support, they asked Pastor Higgins said he asked the doctor said what killed him. He said did he have a heart attack? Said he didn't. Said he just wore out. See that's how to die. When Wigglesworth was seventy-two years old, he asked God for fifteen more years. He lived fifteen years to the week. To the week. To the week. See. I love that. People always talk about someone who died young. For what each person you tell me who died young, I'll tell you 10 who lived long. And I've learned to stay on the side that keeps faith. I've learned to stay on the side that keeps faith. Amen. We're to mix faith with the gospel by believing it in our hearts and saying it with our mouth. And finally, every Christian is to preach the gospel. We're all to preach the gospel. The Bible says, These signs shall follow them that believe. See, the name of Jesus belongs to every member of the church. All of us should be casting out devils. All of us should be raising the dead. All of us should be getting the lost saved. Look, if we will take this gospel seriously, this thing is not a fad. Grace is not a fad. Grace is not a revolution. It's more than that. It's the new covenant. And if we'll take this thing serious like we should and let our Christianity... You know, there's something about a contagious Christianity that is infectious, that you infect everybody around you. Sometimes I think... This thing about heaven and hell, is it that many of us don't believe it or we're wicked. If hell is real, ha, ha, we shouldn't be keeping quiet. And besides, the gospel is the power. Heavenly Father, thank you for these moments of sharing your word. Thank you for stirring up our hearts to be on fire in these truths and to just run and continue in your grace to keep emphasizing the finished work of redemption. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Someone who had surgery. You had surgery not too long ago. But the site of the operation, you're having some pains there still. Who are you? All right, put your hand close as you can to it. In the name of Jesus, I speak to the pain. I speak to that body. I say, heal up the spirit of him that raised Jesus from the dead. He dwells in you and he quickens your mortal body. It quickens your mother body. Someone, you lent somebody 500,000 naira. You needed the money for something. The person told you he will have it back by that date. That date came. He hasn't given you back. And you got in a bind. And you now got, you started overreacting to your friend that borrowed the money from you. Who has now put you in trouble? Don't raise up your hand. Look, hmm? God is our source, right? God is our source. You know, we're grace people. And it's good if we're gracious. Just be gracious to him. Yeah, if he had it, he would have given it. Besides, God is going to fix that situation. Amen. He's going to fix it supernaturally. He's going to fix it supernaturally. There's someone, your scalp, your scalp, your scalp is like it peppers you. You have some itching and some peppery feel on your scalp. Who are you? Some itching and peppery feeling on your scalp, on your head. Who are you? Just lift up your hand wherever you are at. All right, I see your hand. Put your hand there. In the name of Jesus, God's power makes you whole. That itching, that pain, it leaves in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. There's a lady with a lump on her left breast. I curse that growth. Wither in Jesus' name. Someone who's lost their hearing in the left ear. You've lost your hearing in your left ear. Who are you? You don't hear it with it. Maybe you hit it on something. I don't know what caused it. But your left ear doesn't work. Who are you? Who are you? Your left ear doesn't work. Who is it? Who is it? Just put your finger there. Amen. The power of God will go into it right now. And it will open up. Who are you? Who is the person? Okay. So they are pointing someone. Who is the person? I don't see the person yet. Praise God. Your left ear ear you don't hear with it amen amen father thank you because you're a good god healing is your nature i speak to that hearing that eardrum i say the power of god is working in it now making you every with whole in jesus name thank you father someone you're scheduled for surgery you have something with your digestive system and you're scheduled for surgery you won't need that surgery in Jesus name. I never tell people not to go for their surgery. I don't do that. I don't tell people not to take their drugs. I don't do that. You know, the doctor is fighting the devil. The preacher is fighting. I tell people, let your doctor put you off your drugs. But this is it. Hmm? You'll see that you wouldn't need that surgery because the power of God is working in your body now. Let's lift up our hands to Jesus and give him praise. And let's say this together. I will continue in grace. I'm not going back to the law. I'm in grace now. I stand in grace. I've received grace. I walk in grace. And I win by grace. Let's give Jesus a shout of praise.